0: Thank you so much, uh, John, and good morning, church. Whether you have uh, joined us here in person, or you are worshiping with us at home, I want to warmly welcome you today. I'm so glad you can be here with us as we continue in the Sermon of the Mount series that we've been involved in now since September, we've entitled Reordered. And to get us started this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I hope you have them. Please open it. If you have a note sheet, I encourage you to also take that out at this time. As you are doing those things, allow me to note, please, that if you, as John just prayed a moment ago too, have recently been listening to news coverage from California, then you are aware that uh, the, the rising rivers and the subsequent flood uh, floodwaters have had uh, devastating results on the folks of California. I'm sure you're also aware that as a result of that, many, many of the folks living in California have been driven from their homes, and in some cases in, in, in a very short period of time, and they've had to gather and think about what they need to take with them. And I don't know about you, but I can't imagine being in that type of situation, uh, whether we're talking floodwaters, or our uh, forest fires um, you know just having to decide what would i take if i only had just a moment or two to figure out what i consider considered to be most valuable and most important for me at that time among my possessions uh, more specifically what what would i grab believing that to be most valuable to me and i want you to all keep that kind of question in your mind as we do now continue to look at the words of jesus here in his sermon on the mount And if you've been following along with us in this sermon series, you know that Jesus is laying out for us how he desires for his children to live in this world. Or to put it another way, Jesus has been teaching us that if we will take the essential message of the Christian faith, the gospel, and to begin to actually live it out daily in our lives, wherever we find ourselves, it will not only make a radical difference within our own hearts, But as citizens of the kingdom of God, it could literally turn our world upside down. And we've heard many things from Jesus through this text of what that will look like, being a kingdom citizen. Let me just review some of those. For example, we learned that kingdom citizens are people who are faithful to their promises. They're pure in their motivation, they're disciplined in their thought life, and quick to forgive. We've learned from Jesus that kingdom citizens, they they possess a very high regard for sexual purity and the sanctity of marriage. Kingdom citizens also says Jesus will always seek to reconcile and not quickly retaliate when they are wronged. Kingdom citizens, Jesus said, when they say yes or they say no, it means something. We need not swear on anything. Kingdom citizens are also humble knowing that we are sinners in need and saved by God's grace and kingdom citizens are also willing to go the extra mile to maintain peace. And unlike the Pharisees of Jesus's day who were proud and egocentric and, and, and self-sufficient kingdom citizens says, Jesus, they humble, uh, they hurt, they, they humbly seek out and hunger for righteousness. Kingdom citizens do not merely, Jesus reminds us, love just the easy people. We seek to love all people, including the hard and difficult people, among whom I'm probably one of them, you know? And unlike the religious leaders of Jesus' day, When we do our acts of worship, our service, our devotion for Christ, things like praying, our fasting, our giving, we don't do it for the show of man, but rather we do it out of a deep love and respect for all that God is and all that he has done for us. And today, carrying that same into that same theme, as we look at verses 19 through 24, we're going to learn that kingdom citizens have an entirely different perspective and value on generosity with our time and our wealth and our talents. Now, before we jump into our text, let me remind you, I don't want us to forget here that any of those character, uh, characteristics that I just uh, shared with you are only possible because Jesus died and, and brought us triumph over sin and death and over Satan. We now have a relationship with him where jesus reigns in our hearts and as we allow the holy spirit to control us every aspect of our lives he explains the scriptures for us he empowers us to live out those spiritual gifts he comforts and guides us and and praise god he is uh, he's changing our hearts day by day and as we also talk about giving let me remind you i don't want us to forget here that although Jesus is God and and he possesses all of the privileges and the power and the wisdom of God he as our our, our heavenly king our mighty creator he willingly became poor he left by leaving the, you know, the splendor and all the accolades of heaven to come to the squander of her, taking on flesh. We're told in scripture that he voluntarily surrendered himself to the death of the cross, the most humiliating and the most uh, cruel form of death at that time. And why did he do that? He did it so that it make it possible for all that put their trust in him or believe in him might become rich, richer than our wildest imaginations. I love Second Corinthians 8, 9, that states that very fact. For you know, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, listen, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Such a powerful uh, reminder of, of the great Uh, links that Jesus went in order to show us uh, uh, his love and his generosity for us. A beautiful example as well, as we talk about giving on how we should live out our lives, always seeking to give and serve others and model Jesus among our relationships. Now it's with those opening thoughts in mind today, as I dug into verses 19 through 24, I found that Jesus is actually presenting three Very challenging, very penetrating questions. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to do something unusual. I'm going to give all three of them right up front. You ready? Here's what Jesus says. Verses 19 through 21, where is your heart? Where is your heart? In verses 22 and 23, Jesus is going to ask, where is your focus? And then finally, in verse 24, we're going to see what or whom do you serve? That's our outline for the day. Let's tackle the first question by analyzing and reading here verses 19 through 21. Follow along, please, as I read those verses. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be be, be also. Clearly, as I dug into that text, the question that just popped out to me that arises from the words of Jesus here is a simple one. He's asking, where is your heart? Now, when I say heart, I I don't want you pointing somewhere between your chin and your waist and, uh, you know, trying to find your heart, because I'm not talking here uh, physiology, Okay? Nor do I, am I talking here about the person sitting next to you that you are emotionally in love, giving your heart fully to them. I believe what Jesus is talking about here is in terms of the investments of your life, your motives, your attitudes, and your thought patterns. I believe Jesus is asking here, believer, where is the concentration and the preoccupation of your life? Where do you spend most of your time? And what thinking and planning do you focus on most? Or where do you dispense most of your energy? And I believe Jesus is going to show us that these things, when we really think about them, reveal to us what we truly treasure most. And chances are, if I were to give all of us a few minutes to answer that question, these questions, most of us, myself included, would probably find that we arrive at, or we land the plane on thing, things are a thing in our life in many cases. And in the middle of all those things that we often find ourselves, we, we start thinking about how can I add more stuff or more things to the things that I already have. One commentary noted, uh, you know, that, that propensity that we have about things when he said this, we're always eating, but famished, always drinking, but never satisfied. That captures it very well, I think. It's a fact that I think the self-storage industry uh, causes it to be one of the fastest growing sectors in the U.S. economy. But Jesus here has some really bad news for his listeners and for us. Our things, Jesus warns, can't and they will not last. They are perishable. They are going to pass. And Jesus warns tonight when you, when you, when you lock up the house and, and, and put the cat out for the day, make sure you do lock it because it's just possible that a thief could come in and steal all those precious things from you. And even if we do manage, you know, if you think about this, if you think of some of the richest people in the world, to hold on to those things, seeking satisfaction in those things in this world is the scriptures call like chasing the wind. Once, we're finally, you know, once we finally achieve those things, we're exhausted and we're weary, and, and in the end, they leave us empty-handed, disappointed, and empty in general. And one day, I don't mean to be a downer here, the only thing that will be put in that box is us. None of those things that we've chased after. The impact of that truth uh, was brought home to me when I was in seminary. I read a true story at that time about a young pastor who had taken a pastorate in a small church, and uh, one of the parishioners had passed away and he needed to do a funeral. The problem was he was a new pastor he was young, he didn't have a black suit. And so with very little money, he went down to the pawn shop in the community there to, buy, to find a good buy. To his surprise, when he got there, there were several suits on a rack, right size, solid black, very inexpensive too. Um, and, and, And he thought, wow, this is just too good to be true. So as he was paying for the suit, he inquired of the pawnbroker, how can you sell these suits so cheaply? And reluctantly, the pawnbroker revealed to him or admitted that these suits had all been once owned by a mortuary and had gone out of business. Now, admittedly, the pastor didn't feel all that excited about wearing a suit that was designed for someone who had passed away, but what, you know, it, it was a good price, it fit him well, and nobody would know, right? Well, on the day of the funeral, everything was just going superbly. And uh, in the middle of the sermon, like preachers do, I, I found myself doing this quite a bit today. He tried to slip his hands into his pocket, and to his surprise, there were no pockets. After all, what does a dead person need pockets for, right? And talk about an unforgettable object lesson that must have been for him as it was when I read it. Now please listen to me carefully when I say that Jesus is not forbidding here that we have any money. I don't believe either that he is saying we can't own things. Um, He's not saying you can't have an iPhone, okay? The Google people might object to that, but Jesus isn't saying that, okay? Neither is Jesus saying that we can't have a home or a car or clothes or other things in life. And most certainly I don't believe Jesus because we see it over and over again, reference in scripture that Jesus is saying, don't invest your money. Don't prepare for the future. Folks, I believe Jesus is talking here. The issue is earthly stuff, not earthly stuff. I'm sorry. It's not earthly stuff. It's our attitude when it comes to earthly stuff. In fact, the Greek term lay aside here or lay up for yourself here in verse 19 does not actually speak about having possessions, but rather the possessions having possession of us, okay? In the original Greek, it might be better understood of stuffing or stockpiling or hoarding. And I believe it has the idea of neglect of not seeing the needs of others. It's seeking to pursue lasting significance and security and satisfaction in material goods rather than seeking them in God. And so how do we guard ourselves against this kind of an attitude? I believe the key is simple and yet complex at the same time. You see, it's about our hearts. Look at verse 20. In contrast, Jesus says to laying up treasures for ourselves, Jesus instructs his disciples here to lay up for themselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Paul makes a very similar comment in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, and I believe probably referencing what Jesus is saying here. Look at what he says, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge him not to be haughty or conceited, nor to, be set, their, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything, notice, to enjoy. They are to do good, this is verse 18, they are to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to serve thus i love verse 19 storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future listen so that they may take hold or grasp of what that is truly life christ followers it says here both by paul and by christ himself are to invest in things for eternity now that's where it gets a little tricky for me Perhaps you as well. It's real easy for us to understand and grasp the idea of earthly stuff because we all have so much of it. But what exactly is Jesus talking about when he says treasure for yourself uh, things in heaven and how do we go about storing them there? And if you look back, and this is what I did this week, as I look back over the content of the Sermon on the Mount that we have covered so far you'll notice or you'll discover very quickly that Jesus has spoken several times about acts of worship or obedience that God will eternally reward. And I want to review those with you. In chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, for example, those will be rewarded, it says, who faithfully endure persecution for Jesus' sake. God says, I will be honored by that. The second thing we see in chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, we honor God by loving our enemies. Giving to the needy according to six verse four in secret and praying in secret in six six. Fasting as BJ mentioned last week without calling attention to ourselves, six verse 18. Being salt and light according to Matthew five verses 13 through 16, living out our faith among our neighbors, our family and our co-workers. God is pleased and honored by that. And then today, as we look at chapter six here, verses 19 through 21, we see committing our resources, our money, our time, our talents. And I would add our heart to God's work in this world as part of laying up treasures in heaven. And I simply stated this when I came up with the definition. Here's what I came up with. We lay up treasures in heaven by investing in God's causes and in God's people. I'm going to repeat that. We lay up treasures in heaven by investing in God's causes and in God's people. Now, please don't miss this next point. As I thought about this point here, I believe that all of us have an individual responsibility and the privilege as followers of Jesus Christ to store up treasures in heaven. But I also believe that it's by actively participating in the local church that believers are going to see and are going to experience the greater amount of uh, of fruit. When Chantilly Bible Church, not Bill Johnson, okay, when all of us collectively together help people to connect to God and encourage one another and and connect to each other and and encourage one another, that and, and serving together, that's all laying up treasures in heaven. When we invest in our youth, as John just opened with, and when we're preparing them to know when to serve God and encouraging and equipping parents to make the primary place of discipleship their homes, I believe that's laying up treasures in heaven. When we serve our community by preparing meals for generosity feeds or by teaching conversational English, or by partnering with SLM Crisis Pregnancy Center or providing food uh, or local food banks or warm coats for the elementary children as we're doing. Not just good deeds, mind you, but doing gospel centered deeds that is laying of treasures in heaven. When as our core value states, we as a church together collectively love lost people because God loves lost people that my friends is laying up treasures in heaven. And likewise, as our core value states, when we intentionally welcome people from multiple cultures in our church and encourage that cultural expression while preserving unity among all the people that God brings to our church, that my friends is laying up treasures in heaven. Now with that thought in mind, as I was preparing the sermon, one of the privileges I have is serving alongside of our deacons. And I wanna tell you a little bit about our deacon ministry because I believe, as you'll see in just a moment, it provides a crucial role here in our church in helping us lay up treasures as a congregation. In multiple ways, these servants are leading and assisting us in laying up treasures as a church, as they, as they help. Most people probably aren't aware of the number of benevolence needs that come in our church every week from those outside and inside our church. These men assist them and help them figure out how to meet their needs overseeing the various service projects that they do, serving communion. Uh, on the welcome team, they're very actively serving, and by being available after each service to pray uh, with those who come up and ask for a prayer. And uh, here's the thing. Uh, What they wanted me to communicate to you when I met with them last week is you don't need to be a deacon to serve in any one of those areas. In fact, deacons welcome you to serve alongside of them and invite you to give generously to the benevolence fund in our church so that they can serve effectively. In the coming weeks, I've asked one of them to come up and tell you personally uh, about the deacon ministry. But in the meantime, I'd like you to take a good look at each of the men that are on the screen. And I'd like to ask you to be in the meantime praying for them for their faithfulness and thanking god for them all of the things i just shared with you are actually happening in our church right now and a whole lot more i couldn't i couldn't capture everything that's happening here within the church and i would just ask you today from the bottom of my heart are 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 you seeing those things happening better yet are you investing in those things are you experiencing brothers and sisters in Christ, the joy and the blessing of giving of your time, your heart, your money, your skill, and your talents to the needs that God lays here on our hearts as a church. And why I ask those questions is because it's so critical and so crucial to see what I mean. Look at verse 21 and notice what Jesus says. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasures, Jesus identifies here, are the things or the persons that drive and motivate us to action and decisions, thoughts, and behaviors. And um, that being noted, as I got to this point in my sermon, the Lord just impressed upon my heart to say and remind all of you that there is no greater gift that has ever been given. And and, and honestly, there is no example of generosity so selfless as uh, no human... Uh, no act in human history that is so important in the gift of Jesus to this world. And, and I want to say to you again from my heart that when we, brothers and sisters in Christ, truly see and experience, have seen and see and experience that surpassing beauty of all that Christ is, all that he has done for us, I believe that it will be a motivation as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 18. Uh, not out of obligation, okay? That's not what I'm trying to say, but rather out of a heart of appreciation to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to share, share, be ready to share whatever God lays on your heart. And so I stop here and I ask you, as I did myself multiple times this week, brother or sister in Christ, where, where is your heart today? That's what Jesus is asking us. Verses 22 and 23, present the second question. Let's tackle that together. The second question is, where is our focus? Where is our focus? Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And I admit to you, that's a difficult, language here but let me try to share what i believe jesus is saying Um, healthy eyes says jesus capture all the available light giving or providing a clear understanding of the world around us faulty or unhealthy eyes on the other hand don't perceive and transmit light effectively uh, cloaking our inner and outer world in darkness and i believe the emphasis of jesus's illustration then is one of perception our focus, bad or unhealthy eyes represent uh, a focus or a hope on temporary or earthly treasures. And I believe it indicates a lack of trust in God to provide for us and it clouds our vision and holds us in darkness. It will often, if you get caught up in that bad vision, blind and prohibit us from the opportunity to beautifully display the graciousness and generosity that God has shown us. On the contrary, focusing on sincere devotion to Christ and right living is like having clear or healthy eyes. It allows the light of God's righteousness to shine on our hearts. And thus having good eyes means our hearts focuses on the right things. And I would add even more clarity, or better yet, on the right one. I believe these verses, in in these verses, Christ is calling his followers to an undivided loyalty and trust eyes fixed and focused on him and he's asking us brother or sister where is your focus we just sang a moment ago so blessed by the choice of song turn your eyes on jesus and and it goes and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace where is our focus today In verse 24, we tackle the third and final question presented by Jesus. What do you serve? Verse 24. No one, says Jesus, can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When it comes to unhealthy attitudes toward money. I can't think of a more excellent illustration than the, the slave and master relationship. It's an excellent choice because uh, once a believer's wealth grips their heart and it becomes an obsession or a fixation in his life, it's amazing how controlling that is and how devoted we can get to it. Often it leads to an increasing contempt or disregard to what God would have as his priorities, right? Or the needs of others. And this unhealthy attitude toward money can be incredibly destructive, too, to our lives and to the lives of those we love. I was reading this week of a uh, commencement uh, speech or address that was uh, shared by the CEO of the Coca-Cola Enterprises, and um, he was trying to help the students understand the relationship between work and wealth with all the other commitments uh, and how challenging that can be. And so he said to them, I want you to imagine life as a game in which you're juggling five balls in the air. He named them, actually, work, family, health, church, and friends. You're keeping them all up in the air, he says. And he said, you're soon going to understand, and I know I've certainly seen this in my, lo- in my own life. He warns him that work is like a rubber ball. If you drop it, it just bounces right back up. But the other four balls, he goes on to say, your family, your health, your church, and your friends are made of glass. If you drop one of these, he said, they will be, you <laughs> i I've had problems, they'll be broken, okay, scuffed, marked, nicked, damaged, and even shattered in cases. And, and they'll never be the same. And, and, and I've experienced that. He's right, you know. So sadly, Jesus uh, really, Jesus' words here in verse 24 aren't just a choice of our master, but also as I look at it very carefully, uh, what is the outcome that we desire with our lives? Verse 24 is a warning, I think, if we choose to serve the master of money our materialism and greed, the outcome, Jesus says, will not be good. But it's also, I think, a loving invitation. Jesus says to his listeners and to all of us today, if we choose to serve God and reject the grip and control of money and materialism and greed in our hearts, it will bring uh, treasures in heaven. Totally secure. They won't rust. They won't, they won't uh, decay. And the bottom line Jesus is making very clear here, even though we try so often, we can't serve God in money. We have to choose one or the other. And I would just pause and ask as I ask myself, you know... Who or what are we serving today? Now, one of the big fears I had when I started digging into this text is that it might come across as scolding. I want you to know that I'm wrestling with all these things with me. And I don't believe Jesus' message here is meant to guilt us. I really don't. I rather think it's meant to encourage us and to remind us of who we are called to be in him. I want you to remember the things he said beforehand, you know, he's reminded us that in him, in Christ, we've been saved. We've been reconciled. We have been redeemed. We have been repurposed. Folks, we are new creations in Jesus Christ. We are now citizens of his holy kingdom. We are salt and light. And the challenge that I want us to take away is uh, from the teaching here this morning, is whether uh, here or we're watching on the live stream today, as we do the examination of our hearts and we find maybe that we're trusting in or we're loving our earthly things more than God, I wanna challenge us to confess it. 1 John 1.9 tells us that's where it's gotta start. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, praise God, from all unrighteousness. But in addition to confession, as we've seen over and over again in this text, it's a call for reordering our repentance. And I wanna also encourage us to ask God to enable us to turn away or repent from the patterns of trusting in the world's thing, or letting them grip our heart that we may have slipped into, and reorder our hearts so that we can start to more clearly see and generously invest in the, things that are going to matter in eternity, especially when it comes to investing in people. Because when we get to heaven and we're worshiping Jesus Christ, I I can assure you, none of us are going to be looking for our stuff. We're going to be looking for the people that we love and have we invested in them. Now you might be here today and you've never trusted in Jesus. And that's really where it's got to start. I want you to know that he loves you and he wants to have a personal relationship with you and that begins by first acknowledging that we are sinners in need of a savior a savior that lived his life uh, a life that we could not or even want to live a savior who paid the penalty we should have paid for our sins by by dying on the cross in our place and for our sin and then rising from the dead he's graciously allowed us by faith to enter into a, a righteous, righteous, right relationship with God now and forever. And, and according to the scriptures, I think even though we sometimes believe it, there is nothing you or I can do, no amount of time or effort, or money that we can invest that in, we're going to buy a place in heaven. Eternal life, you see, is a gift from God, a free gift from God received by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus, John 3.16. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, listen, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And clearly, as we think about eternal things, the most important thing in this world uh, when it comes to eternal value is having a relationship with Jesus Christ and the free gift of eternal life that comes by placing our trust and faith in him. And so I want to beg you today, if you've never come to the realization of a need for a savior or you're wrestling through it, I want to encourage you to come up and speak to me or one of the pastors or one of the elders after the service and not to leave here today without having your your questions answered. The other thing that occurred to me as we wrap up here this morning is there might be some people sitting here today that might be thinking, oh, this is all great. This is really applicable to rich people, but I don't have a lot of resources, so I don't I don't need to really pay all that much attention to what Jesus is saying here, but let me assure you, because <laughs> most of my life I've been there, not having, uh, not having a lot of stuff can still have, you can still have an unhealthy attitude towards uh, the, the grip of things. In fact, in many cases, uh, I believe most uh, materialistic people, minded people are those who have the least amount of resources. So how do we learn to value above everything else storing up treasures in heaven. And my answer to you, as clear as I can be, simple as it can be, rich or poor, it's the gospel truth. It's the gospel grace. It's the gospel love. And it's the gospel's transformational power that can energize us to see and to live our lives as God sees we should live them. So in actuality, it's valuing Jesus, who is identified in Scripture as the treasure of heaven above all other things that makes the difference. I'm going to repeat that. In actuality, it's valuing Jesus, the treasure of heaven above all other things that makes the difference. Only as we hold Jesus above all things, you see, can we live our lives and uh, and have our lives reordered when it comes to treasuring things that are going to have eternal impact and that my friends brings us actually right back to the same question i asked at the onset of the sermon and that is this where are you personally finding that which is most valuable to you no not in light of rising floodwaters but in light of eternity is what you value most below or above? On earth or in heaven? Is it material or spiritual? I want to ask, as I ask myself, how and where might God be wanting to change our hearts and our perspective about things today? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these uh, incredibly practical but challenging thoughts from our Savior today. Boy, the world is, is, is such a busy place. It's got lots of trinkets and toys for us to chase after. And uh, Lord, we heard today that you want us to love you with all our hearts, soul, and might, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us, I pray, Lord, to take the time today to really examine our hearts, to really ask ourselves what do we value most? And then, Lord, to have the courage to trust you, Lord, to make the changes in our heart that need to happen. I pray for anyone here today who has never put their trust in Jesus. Help them, I pray, to see their need for him and uh, and place their trust in him today. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that you would take the things we've heard from your word today and transform us to be more like our Savior as we pray these things in his name. Amen.